another Sports Next Door podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Wednesday, April 20th, 420 Blaze It, and I am joined, as I always am, by my neighbor Max. How's it going, my friend? You've got me a little tempted here. <laughs> We're holding out strong. Uh, happy April 20th to you as well. Um, it's been a good day to have off. Oh, yeah. We are, uh, we are in top mental condition as it stands for this podcast uh some deleted scenes that may never grace spotify and and apple podcasts were made in recent months uh but this one's going to be smooth sailing and we are happy to bring back the use of time travel as we did last year during the nhl playoffs uh this will be our first go at it for the NBA playoffs as the Raptors did not make the playoffs last year, but looking forward to game three tipping off in about an hour and a half here in Toronto, the first playoff game in Toronto in, in three years. Um, yeah, hard, hard to believe, but really excited for that. And what that means here is once again, basketball heavy um, with a little bit of hockey as the cherry on top here, but um, yeah, lots to get to today. And so without further ado, we will talk about this exciting game three matchup between the Toronto Raptors and the Philadelphia 76ers. Scotty Barnes just listed as out for tonight's game, um, not to mention Gary Trent, uh, who I was going to slander, but it really does seem like he's fighting some injuries uh, and, and is definitely maybe 65, 70% of himself. So can't go too hard on the guy if he's battling it out, but um, tough times for the Raptors here as game one went the way I kind of thought it would. And then we talked about that uh, on Sunday that could see game two going like that way as well. And it ended up being another blowout here. So this game three really coming into it is a do or die game uh, for the Toronto Raptors. And I guess just to briefly go back over game two, Max, if you had a couple of thoughts that you wanted to lead with. Yeah, it, it really did mostly resemble game one. I would say Tobias Harris, a little less hot and present, but mm -hmm. other than that, very similar. Um, could not keep Harden from setting up his players, could not handle the speed of Tyrese Maxey did a little better dealing with the physicality of Embiid, but the ref's whistles seemed a bit shorter, definitely on Harden. And offensively, again, I didn't... Fred went a little cold, but as uh, Jack pointed out, there's you can only carry so much of the load before so long, before that's going to wear on you. And as much as we love him, he has stepped into and accepted the role of superstar for this team and does very well in that role at times but he's not a top five top 10 nba guy who can do that every night for 48 minutes a night he's a guy who can step up in the big moments but other guys need to be at the forefront carrying the load with him and i, I think that's what we saw with a lot of the open threes missed in that second quarter that was kind of my okay we're not winning this game if our best player is missing those shots uh, Siakam a little less involved offensively as well it felt like but yeah more or less the offense about as happy as I can be with it and the, again Maxi seems like he's the different we just 
the speed he attacks with in transition and in half court offense. It, we just don't have an answer for it and can only keep it at bay for so long. And once the floodgates open, once that crack widens past a certain point, we haven't figured out how to how to claw back and shut it down. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I've been happy with the offense, but it does feel like when Philadelphia truly engages, they can shut down our half-court offense, and it's a little frustrating when it's Tyrese Maxey, Tobias Harris uh, on the floor, along with James Harden, um, and then insert fifth guy there with Embiid, whoever that may be. Um, Tybal obviously is a, a great defender, but really beyond that, beyond him and Embiid that there aren't plus defenders out on the court for Philadelphia, but they still seem to be giving the Raptors a lot of trouble uh, when they want to. And so that definitely has been frustrating. Fred has basically refused now to go to the rim and he never was someone who finished at a high percentage at the rim, but um, settling for a lot of jumpers, in my opinion, some open ones, but uh, it, it did feel a little bit reminiscent of 2019 where some of the physicality of the playoffs can give Fred some trouble. And when he, he might have some hot shooting stretches that opens up the rest of his game, he can't be relied off on to be your number one scorer. Uh, and so that has to really lie with Pascal and even OG who started to show some things in that second half. Uh, but it's, we're going to need 50 points from those guys tonight. If the Raptors are going to have a shot to win this game. Well, one way or another, next thing you hear from us, we'll be talking about this game before we cut off for a say. I'll ask your opinion, but this is do or die. Like, oh, 100%. No NBA series has ever come back from 3 0. Uh, and so this is essentially your first of two elimination games. Um, and hopefully the whistle is more favorable north of the border, is what I will say now. Embiid and Harden, superstars, really good at drawing fouls. I think there are some calls that weren't called. I think there are definitely quite a few calls that were given, uh, but the Raptors are going to have to be very, very disciplined tonight and, and see if they can at least stay out of early foul trouble and see how that changes the complexity of this one. To be honest, I'm not really looking forward to watching it and talking about it, but we'll see how it goes. Maybe we'll be jubilant when we cut back in but uh that's for us to find out and you to hear about in five seconds until then so we're gonna have to abolish time travel here on the sports next door podcast i think the last time we did it was game seven of the leafs canadians we know that how that happened similar vibes right now uh in the in the sports next door podcast crew Hello, Darkness, our old friend. The Toronto sports team had a big lead, 17 points in the second quarter. They blew that, kept it tight all the way through, had free throws to win it in the fourth quarter, missed both of them. Uh, I don't remember if OG's free throws came. He missed at, one yeah. too. Yeah, was that in the fourth or the overtime? That was overtime. Yeah, so... OG has a chance to put us ahead. <sighs> that. So two chances, then 0.9 seconds left on an inbound play. And Joel Embiid gets his Kawhi moment back 
on the same court that it happened. Hits a fadeaway three as the shot goes, drains it, and that's a 3 nothing lead for the 76ers. Bro. I mean, I ranted like this as soon as the game is over. What is Nick Nurse doing on the inbound? The f- yeah. Just just Fred purely Van the Vliet. fact that Fred Van Vliet looked over at the bench with his hands up, then goes and sits in the paint where he does – like that is, the, that is the last place you want to put the smallest guy on the court. Yeah. How do you how do you not discuss each person's role on the inbound? Like if Fred is the dedicated guy to guard the inbound, then guard the inbound. And it's a perfect pass from Danny Green. And it it just Embiid should never get that clean of a look. But we doubled up on being worried around something around the rim when they had plenty of time to get a shot off. It's so easy. Even Doc Rivers, who like I guess everyone was saying we had a coaching advantage in this series that is obviously wrong at this point like nick nurse has looked not good and this this one is is going to haunt raptors fans for a while that philadelphia can put in deandre jordan but chris boucher can't guard the inbound ken burge can't guard the inbound delano ben can't guard the inbound like i wouldn't say that but the fact that Fred's sitting there in the paint as a perfect pass from the inbound, like, oh, I don't that, that Philadelphia did it so much better where they had a Jordan cutting off a pass to the corner as I, it, uh, inexcusable, really as terrible. I don't hate having the guy in the paint to guard the inbound 0.9 seconds. They could go for the alley-oop, but that guy shouldn't be looking at the bench saying, what am I doing? And if and it shouldn't if, be Fred Van Vliet. Yeah. If, if it's Ken Birch there, then great. He's worrying about that. And then when a chew is on Embiid, he knows Birch is there. He doesn't have to worry about Embiid cutting in because Birch will handle it. He stays tighter on that three defense and maybe that shot doesn't go, but it, there was a miscommunication Achua played Embiid too loose because he was worried about the cut to the net despite having a help defender there because there was no communication about that and I I don't know I we had so many chances like I said in the fourth quarter we we had times where we just needed a bucket and couldn't get it one more stop couldn't get it that it, it did feel like a matter of time we had the advantage that whole overtime with Harden being out and we couldn't eke out an advantage in the half-court offensive set. So it was just a matter of time before something slipped and we lost. And I look at all the lost chances throughout the last nine minutes of this game, more than that final inbound play, but just a game that we planned right for, came out in the right way to win, and then fell apart and collapsed. It would almost be easier if it was just a rerun of game one, game two, because they had the tools to win this game and they blew it. Yeah. Poor offensive execution in the last quarter. Actually, the whole second half, the the offense was very poor. Yeah. Um, Tobias Harris really took Siakam and, and Gary Trent's lunch money there on multiple possessions, which is mind-blowing to me but 
yeah, I don't know. We need it's just they need it needs we need more offensively. And like I mean it, oh, Joel Embiid, man, he made some ridiculous shots in this game. Yeah. Not only well, that was his second of two buzzer beaters in the final quarter overtime of that game. And yeah, that that really is. I mean, we saw it three years ago. That's what the Raptors are missing. Siakam can get all of the praise, and he had a great year, but it's, it's just the Raptors don't have a guy. And when you don't have a guy, it's only so high of a ceiling you have in the playoffs. And one of those like shots. You got everything else in place, right? Yeah. The clean look from the mid range he missed, I think, in the last minute of the fourth quarter. Yeah last two if not that so there's your difference there um also disappearing that he really got only like two yeah shot attempts late in that game why is it not running something forcing a switch or getting him with a post touch he barely got any post touches in this game like get him a little bit closer to the basket or set him up in the middle of the court where he's been so successful. I just, I, yeah, again, the offensive execution was really, really poor. And again, I I think a lot of this series so far has to fall on Nick nurse. It feels like uh, they were underprepared offensively because of how much attention Harden and B have had to have, have drawn. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I didn't hate the offense throughout this series, and I liked the defense a lot better in this game. But you're right. Ultimately, it was the execution on offense. Uh, When we had the defense at a level that you could be happy with that lost us this one that was worth all the marbles. So I don't know. I mean, this team has needed a center for three years now, and this series made it very apparent that that's still true having scotty would have been nice and ultimately it wasn't a series that we thought we would win but three straight losses two of them blowouts um yeah this is below expectations heading into this series you fight for pride from here on out you yeah an absolutely horrific night for for the Raptors and then Charles Barkley guaranteeing a Leafs first round playoff win. I just uh, absolutely delete the city of Toronto right now. <laughs> Poverty franchise plus ratio plus L plus cry more plus pain. Well, on that note, we are going to rewind the clocks back to about 6 30. Oh, this is going to be so yeah. brutal when we come back. We're so chipper. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I wasn't that optimistic, but hey, y'all, this better do numbers. Check it out on the pod. I don't. It'll probably go on YouTube. We got, we gotta get numbers on this one. <laughs> I'm losing my mind. It's time for bed. Yeah. Um, oh. Deprivation plus Toronto sports teams doing Toronto sports team things equals mood. Back to six thirty then. 
And we're back from our time travel adventure. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, we hope that things ended up well for us. It's going to be a little awkward transition here, but we are moving along um, back in the before times, before game three, talking about some of the other games we saw on tap so far this week. Um, the number one storyline, I would say, is the return of the Death Star dubs. And we already mentioned that after game one, but a encore performance at Chase Center um, by Jordan Poole, by Steph Curry going absolutely insane off the bench once again. Uh, things really clicking. And the big thing for them that has always been is they are an underratedly good defensive team. And Draymond Green has been fantastic in turning Jokic into a slightly above average player rather than the MVP caliber player that he is. And so um, that's been the, the big thing that has put the rest of the NBA on notice. But besides that, not too many notes about the series. It looks to be a runaway. So we will move on to a couple of the other series here. Uh, next on our list, Atlanta and Miami. Uh, the Heat going up 2-0 with a decisive kind of fourth quarter stretch there. Jimmy Butler with 43. And uh, what a couple of sequences down late for him with a, a fadeaway three-pointer. And then the Euro step to the left uh, was pretty impressive. And Miami just, we both talked about how high we were on, on them as a playoff team. Um, and then you were higher on them in the regular season, rightfully so as it ended up being, but we knew that these were, it was full of veteran grinders that could turn it on. And then if you do have a couple of those other bench guys who are really lethal from beyond the arc, then this team could be pretty explosive. And uh, they did a great job once again, handling the Hawks. Trey and Bogdanovich had solid games, but without Capella, they're really missing that interior presence uh, that would give Miami a lot of problems. Yeah, I actually didn't know he was missing. That was a huge part of their wins against the Hornets, the fight against the Cavs. Uh, just that lob threat always like puts defenders one step further back from Trey. Um, mm -hmm. I feel less high on Miami knowing that without Capella, honestly. Um, all my attention from watching at the bar, just that fadeaway three. Um, it was one of those shots where there, there wasn't really a moment of doubt when it left his hands. We were both like, Jimmy? Jimmy. Uh, Which is crazy because that's not what he's known for. Only, only in the last two minutes of the fourth quarter of a playoff game would I feel that way. But it just happened to be those circumstances. Yeah, yeah. On the other side there, Jimmy did get a lot of dunks in the game and one of them coming very, very late on just like a brutal, brutal Trey Young defensive possession where he kind of flashed to, to hedge the, the screen for his defender to catch up, but Butler didn't even acknowledge his presence, blew right by him. Trey didn't even attempt to even like take a foul or anything, just let him go dunk it sealed kind of Atlanta's hopes of coming back in that game. Cause they were a little frisky there early in the fourth quarter. Uh, I think they did cut it to three points at one point and uh, yeah, couldn't end up sealing the deal. So maybe we'll see if they get a little bit of a boost at home for game three, uh, but not looking good there. Go Moving along to another one, eight series that we thought was going to be a runaway, but a shocking turn of events has the New Orleans Pelicans stealing game two in Phoenix and um, Jackson Hayes had a two minute stretch there, Max. I don't know if you saw any of this, but he was looking like uh, 
one of the best two-way players in the league. A uh, couple of blocks. I think it was three dunks in transition that he had. Um, the last one over two players. Uh, he's always been a high flyer, but he's really starting to lock in and provide them something special, uh, which is cool to see. And then CJ and Brandon Ingram provided kind of double the, the shot making and had a lot more effectiveness in this game. And with Devin Booker being injured in that third quarter and now looks like unlikely he'll play in games three or four. If you're Phoenix, you gotta, you gotta be uh, gritting your teeth and a little bit of sweat dripping down your brow, because that is not a good situation to be in um, as they were my undoubted favorites for the title. And I mean, every good team usually loses a game in the playoffs, but you didn't think it'd come so early against this eight seeded New Orleans team. And now Phoenix is going to have to lock in and, and win, win a game here on the road. And hopefully Booker is back in time. Yeah. I mean, if this team is anywhere near the playoff projections, their build at winning a series against the eighth seed without your leading scorer when you have so much depth, so much talent, so much defense really isn't that big of an ask. But with the momentum swing of having just lost the game and having to steal one on the road, that does make it really interesting. Um, I, I think we talked, did we? Maybe it was a conversation with someone else. But within the last week, I have a memory of discussing like Phoenix's, our still remember doing our playoff projections their first round matchup against the lakers uh the lakers were big favorites and it sort of faded as the playoffs went on but phoenix the suns kind of felt like a dark horse that really ran with it um and they've just been riding that high ever since it feels like i, I don't know when that status goes away and like they all clearly are one of the best teams in the league and this regular season they've had proves it but it really is just four games that you have to mess up and if uh scott foster is refing the next three of them <laughs> who knows then it's a then it's a reverse gentleman sweep for the pelicans as scott foster is 14 and 0 against cp3 in playoff games which is just absurd it truly is absurd you run enough random numbers and you're going to find a sequence and a pattern and I do think that's what this is but <laughs> I mean everyone is so hyper aware of it though even going into the game and it still happens just yeah. crazy just crazy all right moving on here two more series to get to the Memphis Grizzlies and the Minnesota Timberwolves Grizzlies back in it uh Jaron Jackson Jr with a fantastic putback slam really was the highlight of the night there and uh John Morant talking his talk uh, throughout most of it as well. And then really the big difference in adjustment that we saw from the Grizzlies in this game was the movement of, or the re-movement of Steven Adams minutes out of the rotation, going to Xavier Tillman earlier in the game to have a little bit more mobility, a little less size uh, with Carl Anthony Towns, which typically leads to more success. And this game got out of hand early in the third quarter and the Grizzlies never looked back. And if, if that's what they've unlocked, then this series could end up being a, a short one as well here now uh, as they're on the roll. But Minnesota, we saw in the play-in game, had a great boost at home. So we will see uh, what happens there in game three. Yeah, I, I think 
what was really interesting about this game is the first quarter started off super slow and awful. Just the whistles were nonstop. Mm-hmm. And then as it, like that kind of kept the Timberwolves in it the, because one, whatever else you say about the refs, they did try and call it even as awfully as they, I think they were calling it. That I'm pretty sure the reason Tillman went in just because Adam had said two fouls so early. But regardless, um, it was when the bench unit for the Grizzlies came in that they were the first steps of running away with it happened and the Timberwolves did bring it back. And then it was more the jaw led starters who opened up that gap again to go into the second half. But it was the depth of uh, the Grizzlies versus the depth of the Timberwolves, which was less depth, mind you, because they just go less deep in their rotations. Um, and that was when the regular season style of play that brought the Grizzlies so much success came out when Jaw was on the bench and it was the guys doing what they'd done all seasons. That's when Minnesota really got clamped up on defense and started to struggle and turn the ball over more. That's when the offensive rebounds really started coming in. Um, and that kind of just got the mojo going, Jaw talking his talk and walking his walk right through the paint consistently throughout the game and I do love that uh Jaron Jackson put back as the highlight play because it was an offensive rebound which really was uh the difference I think I I can't I looked up the numbers but I think the Grizzlies had something like 15 shots more than the Timberwolves and 10 less turnovers and it was really just the difference in field goal attempts that saw this I don't think the Timberwolves are out I think this is an offensive slugfest and just that tight first whistle and the bench onslaught caught the Timberwolves off guard. They'd come into this series and we saw in game one prep to deal with the offensive rebounds to handle the ball well. They got away from it. It opened up the gap and they couldn't get back into it. I think they will in, go into game three reminiscent of what the Grizzlies do so well and back to their game one mentality of how to deal with it. Uh, Edwards, the worst version of himself, where he was riding all that game high confidence with none of that game one touch, a lot of poorly thought through distant shots that were not dropping that he continued to go for. Those either have to land for him or he has to make better decisions with the ball. But I think one of those two things will happen sooner rather than later in this series. And I'm looking forward to game four, three, game three. All right. Last game three here, uh, well, game two, game three to talk about the Mavericks and the Jazz and the Mavericks doing what we thought we, we, doing what we said we thought was possible here and beating the Utah Jazz in game two behind a raucous home crowd, uh, shooting 47% from three, most notably Maxi Kleber, uh, Rudy Gobert's matchup, hanging out in the corner, knocking down open shots. And when the Jazz defense, once again, we've talked about this a lot this year, don't have a plus-plus perimeter defender. They get beat. Gobert then tasked with guarding the rim and three-point line. With the high variance of threes, games like this are going to happen. And what happened with Utah the last couple of years now is the open looks fell more times than not, and that's really what bounced them. Could see it happening again here with Dallas, but uh, I don't know if the Jazz are going to make an adjustment at all um but but a big win for for the Mavericks here and Max you uh 
you were going to talk about Jalen Brunson, who was simply superb. Yeah, I think 41 points. It felt the first game, all his points, I think he must have been high 20s, low 30s. It felt like they were all post-ups in the paint, um, really fundamental style of play. Find it, whatever it is, left hook spinning, like a right fade back jumper, whatever the defense isn't taking, he's going to take all in the paint. And then this game, it's like you saw that had an effect. They were thinking so much about him in the paint that just the off-ball screens on the perimeter had him open all game. Even on the pull-up coming down the court, they were always worried about his drive, and he was more than happy to let the shots fly. And more often they were not. More often than not, they were dropping. It was just simply superb offense. You. I almost feel bad for the Mavericks front office watching this because you know they're thinking, oh, we're not going to be able to keep him this free agency. But for now, Mavs fans get to enjoy it. Uh, filling that gap, Doncic left beautifully. Uh, on the Jazz side, Donovan Mitchell, really consistent, really solid veteran, superstar, franchise leader level of play throughout the whole game for him. I thought the biggest plus for the Jazz, the second visit, biggest Clarkson great game uh, especially in that first quarter I think he had like 14 points Bogdanovich had a great second half for them on the secondary scoring but talking about what the Jazz did well enough offensively to keep toe-to-toe with the Mavericks sounds almost like an insult disguised as a compliment because really they should be drowning this team in offense so They tried to go to Gobert more because he got almost no touches in game one. That saw a lot of turnovers and opportunities for the Mavericks. And all night, it just felt like whenever they wanted the three-point off Gobert, they could get it. Um, Back and forth, this game was tight all the way throughout. In the last few minutes of the fourth quarter, they were kind of trading the same set play back and forth. Mitchell would get the high ball screen at the top. Uh, get Dorian Finney-Smith switched off of him and then whoever was switched onto him he would take the drive attack and make the tough finish then on the other end they were just running the pick and fade action for Kleba on the open three and guess what like it was Mike D'Antoni's wet dream you just get like non-stop uncontested threes versus like tough finishes layup attacks and like sure enough I think it was Dinwiddie who like on the fourth iteration finally clamped down Mitchell Kleba had missed like one three but he hits the next one the Mavs go up solidly and don't look back um this Jazz team should be winning like with no Doncic it shouldn't be a question but they just don't look locked into playoff basketball which is crazy to say because this roster has experienced it for so many years I, I don't know if there's some like hope gone from their eyes and they can't truly see themselves going all the way but just like a turnover difference of 10 to 3 in this game uh, some poor decision making on the last minute on when to foul they did the we're not going to foul and then foul with 10 seconds left thing Um, foul trouble throughout that fourth quarter this team is deeper it has more offensive talent and yet somehow they're the ones who seem to be losing out on the back and forth transition ball even though the Mavericks don't really want to play the fast transition game for that it's so much there more there for them than the Jazz they're kind of forced to take it and like all right I guess I won't slow down and I have numbers so I 
it's a hot take, but I kind of want to call this series for the Mavericks right now, Doncic or not. Yeah, the the big piece for me, though, is the Jazz did get game one, and they go home, and they have a very, very good home crowd that is going to provide them with a bit of a lift, and so I could see them winning games three and four. Maybe Doncic is back for game five, uh, and, and that could swing the series for sure. They'd want to bring him into a home crowd, definitely, to <laughs> kind of lessen the pain that he may be feeling in that calf, but the Jazz now going home to Utah is, is going to be huge for them to get that boost. When a roster is already dealing with the adversity of like, we're missing our star player, we're down game one. I, I, I just think they take on a tougher mentality, but there were, I think the open perimeter shot making heavily favored the Mavericks and maybe we'll see home court advantage swing that and even it out for the jazz, which would make the difference. We shall see. Finishing up here uh, with a little bit of hockey talk. Shout out to the Toronto Maple Leafs, man. They are now at a franchise record 51 wins. Uh, They get it against the immensely down bad Philadelphia Flyers uh, with just Sheldon Keefe pulling out the blender for the lineups uh, in last night's game. We had Colin Blackwell, noted fourth liner, on the first line there with Tavares and Mikheyev. Um, We had Nick Abrazese centering the second line with Marner and Bunting, and then uh, Nylander staying on that third line really as the play driver, and he has been great the last week or so. He now has a career-high 32 goals. So shout-out to the Leafs, who are now 11-1-1 in their last 13, and Jack Campbell's won seven straight starts. Can we like time travel that back to our March selves? Yeah. Well, Campbell's coming around, still not a hundred percent confident in him, but they do now have six more games to build up that run towards the playoffs and nice little uh, vacation here for Matthews. So he can be full 100% mutant in time for the playoffs. So shout out Leafs. Keep and roll it there, buds. He didn't mean that Jack have all the confidence in yourself. All right, so uh, on this April 20th, Max totally missed my beautiful Leafs pun to wrap that up. Keep it rolling there, buds. Uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll, on that note, we'll end things. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed the time travel. Hopefully we enjoyed the time travel. Uh, thanks, everyone, so much for listening. But that's going to that's gonna do it for this one. Oh, it's go time. Good morning to everyone and Sports Next Door signing off.